0: Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 782nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today's episode is a replay of our monthly radio show on Rosie on the House in Phoenix, Arizona. Today is all about patio farming with Kari Spencer. Enjoy.
1: Rosie, Rosie on the house Every Arizona homeowner's best friend
2: Come on around back Arizona Saturday morning, 8 o'clock The outdoor living hour of Rosie on the house Already the fourth Saturday here in November If you're following along in your homeowner handbook You've got Patio Farming Farmer Greg joining us online Welcome Uh, And you've got a guest with you as well
0: I do. Thank you very much. Kari Spencer with the Microfarm Project. I think she's been doing farming here just about as long as I have. And she's written a couple of books, which we'll talk about in a little while. But today's topic is patio farming, growing food on your patio. Go ahead and jump in, Kari.
1: All right. I'm really glad to be here. I love growing food in containers. I love growing everything in containers. And so it's great to be here to talk about that today.
2: And Perfect. so, what is it about containers that you like so much? You don't have to get your soil tiller out.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's a lot easier. You can set up in a set up a garden in an afternoon instead of having to get out there and dig in the dirt. In Arizona, our dirt is like concrete to dig in. <laughs> containers are a really great option, and I I just think they're beautiful and. It's never-ending. You can always add a container. You might run out of space for an in-ground garden, but you can always add a container somewhere if you decide you want to grow one more thing, which is pretty common for me.
2: (laughs) And what types of containers? There's got to have a few parameters to it.
1: Sure, there are a few guidelines to it. You want to make sure that if you're growing food that you have a non-toxic container. I've seen a lot of really cool stuff on Pinterest of people growing in old tires or <laughs> gas cans and things like that. And it's really fun and beautiful for flowers. But I wouldn't grow food unless it's it's a non-toxic container. And secondly, I would make sure that the container fits the plant that you want to grow. When you go to the nursery and you buy seeds or a little starter plant, those little starter plants are so tiny and cute, and you could put them in pretty much any pot. But you got to think about the size that it's going to be when it fully matures. Like a tomato, you, you really need to have a pot that's pretty sizable to grow a tomato or a watermelon, <laughs> squash, things that get really quite big. Make sure you have those in a pretty hefty size container.
2: Do you have a favorite material for food growing of a container? For the containers? Yeah.
1: My favorite material is the one that's on sale. <laughs> really <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice
0: or that you can find like a good
1: containers but really anything that any pot that has drainage in the bottom of it as long as it has some way to drain excess water away will works just fine and i would think about heat too particularly if you're in a hot climate or if you're in a really cold climate you got to think about this for freezing temperatures If you're putting a plant in, say, a metal container, it could get really hot in the summer or really cold and freeze in the winter. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons I like clay is because they're clay or ceramic because they hold their temperature better.
2: And you could also build your own as well if it was going to be something permanent. A couple two-by-fours make a a square container just as, as good as anything else.
1: Absolutely, you could.
0: One of the things to be wary of, because I've seen on Pinterest people using pallets to grow food in. And do you want to say something about that, Kari?
1: Oh, sure, yeah. that When I mentioned toxicity, pallets is one of the, the big ones that comes up. Because a lot of pallets contain chemicals to keep bugs and to keep them from catching on fire. And those chemicals aren't very good for us to ingest. So you can look up online to find out what the codes mean on a pallet, to find out what is in those pallets. If they say made in America, you're pretty safe. But in general, I avoid growing food in pallets. I prefer to save those for ornamental displays.
2: And that's a great tip because pallets you can find in a lot of places, very readily available material and I you do see them being used a lot now what about maybe not necessarily growing in but could you use it to form the structure for composting or that's just going to end up in the soil as well and you're going to be growing the food in the soil so just keep pallets away from edibles
1: I'll let Greg speak to that one
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah I've used in the past I've used pallets for my compost bins so it's really a personal choice that you make with using them for a compost bin, they're not interact. The pallets aren't interacting with the entire compost pile. They're just interacting with the edges. So you have to do with what do what's comfortable for you. I would say. And that being said, I just set up my first leaf composting bin here with pallets.
2: And that's a perfect transition into the soil conversation that we wanted to have as well. So we've got uh, our pot selection. A couple different varieties, a couple different sizes, making sure we've got them matched to the correct type of size of whatever our plant's going to be. But the soil in it—you don't just dump, take a whole bag of potting soil and dump it in. There's still layers of soil buildup we can do there.
0: Well, and I want to jump in here before we, quite just before we get there. I want you to tell your story about the first time you planted in pots in your backyard, Kari. Uh, okay.
1: okay. I'll tell it. i put,
0: put you on the spot here.
1: <laughs> it wasn't positive. I'll tell you that. Okay. So when I first started gardening in Arizona, I did take some soil from the backyard and put it in some pots. And then I planted some pretty stuff in those pots. And they looked absolutely beautiful for about a day and a half. <laughs> and then they started to die. And I realized that our soil is, has a very high clay content. So essentially what I did is I filled my pots with Play-Doh and planted (laughs) in it and it didn't go so well. So I did learn some, some better ways to do it.
0: Well, I want to make a distinction here. You didn't use soil in the pots, you used dirt,
1: right? (laughs) Great distinction. Yes, I just did. I just got dirt out of the backyard. I didn't mix it with any compost or do anything to it because I really hadn't had to do that in other places where I would lived in the Midwest. And uh, so I learned a lesson.
0: Yeah. And so what do you put in pots? Because there's got to be a special mix of soil to put in there.
1: Sure. There's some ways to mix some soils for your containers, and some of it depends on what you're growing and your climate and all of that. But in general, you want to make sure that you start with a good potting soil or compost. Okay, So whether you make the compost or you buy it, that's a, a good option. Or if you're going to buy a bagged soil, make sure it's a potting soil, not a garden soil or a seed topper or something like that. Should say potting soil or container mix on the bag. And then you can add some things to that to make things even better. And I like to add something that adds drainage and I like to add something that holds moisture. So they sound contradictory, but they're really not because you wanna get Something that holds moisture when there's too much that will save it for later when the pot dries out and is willing to release it back into the soil when the plants need it. For me, I like to use vermiculite or coco coir is a good thing to use mm-hmm. for that. Okay, and that's so what just shredded coconut husks? Okay. Yeah.
2: Now, obviously, we don't have a lot of coconut trees here in Arizona, so that's an import that's coming in. And where do nope. you, do is it pretty readily available in most nurseries?
1: It's readily available. Yes. Yes. And they pack it real tight. So it's a real small package, but then when you add water to it, it grows. It gets a lot bigger, right? A lot of people use peat moss for this purpose, but I prefer not to use peat moss just because the peat bogs are disappearing and they grow slowly. I If I have peat moss, I will definitely use it, but I don't go out of my way to try and find it. And then you also need something for drainage. If there's too much moisture, say it rains on your pots for days and and it's just getting soggy. You got to have that hole in the bottom of your pot to drain away and then... the the moisture and then have something in the soil that helps to keep it loose enough that the moisture can run through the pot and out the bottom when there's too much. And for that, I prefer to use perlite in pots or you can use pumice, which kind of has both a moisture holding and drainage aspect to it, little tiny pieces of pumice stone.
2: Okay. Hang tight. We've got Kari Spencer with the Micro Farm Project, along with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm. And there's a lot of different things we've talked about here, the peat moss, the cocoa choir. uh, But how how do we layer that? Or do we just all mix it together and drop it in the pot? That's where we'll pick up the conversation right after this. Looking right back up where we left off with Carrie Spencer the Micro Farm Project, a guest here of Farmer Greg's from the Urban Farm, and we're talking patio farming. First segment we spent talking about picking containers to grow food in and the soil prep. And Carrie, you had mentioned a lot of different materials here. Uh, is this like a lasagna layering system that we're doing with our soil, or is this all going into a wheelbarrow, mixing it all up, and then you just dump it into the container when you're ready to start planting?
1: Just what you said, mix it up in a bucket or a wheelbarrow. About um, equal parts. So equal parts, compost or potting soil, something for drainage, and something for moisture retention.
2: And your drainage Mm -hmm. of choice was the coca coir? And what was the moisture retention? What I
1: like to do is compost, coir, and perlite. Perlite. or, Or pumice. And I mix those up in equal parts. And then I get it wet. Keep mixing it up until it's all hydrated. And sometimes that can take a while, especially if you have chosen to use peat moss. It can take a while to get that soil mix completely hydrated. So you just mix it and add water until it's about as moist as a wrung out sponge. Or some people say a fresh cupcake about that moist.
2: Oh, nice.
1: (laughs) For that texture. And then it's ready to go.
2: And when you say ready to go, put in the pot, put your seeds in, or starter plants if you're not not starting from seed. Let's talk about that,
0: the difference between starter plants and seeds.
1: I like to use a little of both, okay? because starter plants are instant. <laughs> you have an instant garden, right? And yep. they have a little bit of a head start. The nursery did some of that beginning work. So you can get your garden together right away and already see some plants in it. On the other hand, seeds are really amazing because they're so inexpensive and you have so many more options for seeds. Uh, So if if it's a plant that grows pretty fast, I will choose seeds almost every time. If it's something that grows really slowly, then maybe I will start with a starter plant, particularly with tomatoes, because they have to grow all through the Christmas season and I don't want to babysit them during the holidays (laughs) while they get big enough to plant out in the spring. But it really is just it's just a choice. um, How quick you want your garden to grow and and what you want to grow.
0: So there's a couple of things that you have to be really aware of, and that's when to plant what. Because if we rely on the nurseries or the big box stores to sell us the plants that are right season, we could be in a little bit of trouble. You want to speak to that, Kari?
1: Yeah, you you could be in a little bit of trouble because the nurseries stock for large regions and your particular area might not exactly match. Like in Arizona, they stock for the entire West and we're really not the same as some of the other places right. in the West here in Phoenix. You know. Yeah, definitely you want to have a resource to select your plants at the right time. Use a good planting calendar. And Greg, you have one.
0: I do. Plantingcalendar.org is for the Desert Southwest. And it's recently been updated. We updated it a couple of years ago to reflect the changing temperatures out there. Plantingcalendar.org. Yeah, that's
1: fantastic. Fantastic and i would get a, i would get a hold of that calendar and if you live in arizona in the in at least in maricopa county area and use it go buy it because you will have much better success if you plant your plants at the right time than if you are a little too late or a little too early
0: and how do so i I'm, I'm at the nursery and i'm looking at plants how do i pick a good one
1: beyond the planting calendar and making sure it's the right season for the plant You want to just take a look at the plant. Does it look healthy, Uh, first off? But sometimes a plant can look really healthy and maybe not be. If you feel the soil and it is bone dry and pulling away from the sides of the pot, the roots may already be suffering, but the plant hasn't realized it yet. So the top part looks good, but there's already root damage. So if you take it home, it might not be able to to last very long. On the flip side, if you see a lot of root growth and the roots are coming out of the bottom or the top of the pot and trying to escape, you might wanna turn that plant over and just gently try to work it out of the pot. Don't damage it because it belongs to the nursery still, but take a look and see if the roots are circling around the inside of the pot. If it's root bound and the plants have been circling and circling with nowhere to go, You take that plant home. For some reason, roots just don't like to get out of those patterns. (laughs) You can try and trim them out, and sometimes that works, but most often those plants don't do very well. I will buy them sometimes if they're on clearance, but otherwise I avoid that. I think the last thing that I would look for is a locally grown plant. If you can find something that's been grown from seed to start right from the get-go, near where you live, that's probably the best because they ship in a lot of these starts from other places and they're really not used to our climate. And you get here and you stick them out in your backyard, especially if you do this in the late spring or in the summertime and your plants just don't know what happened to them. you planted them in a blast furnace and they've been used to being baby.
2: We can do a lot, but we can't stop the clock. That music tells us it's time for bottom of the hour news. We'll be back. Halfway through our Outdoor Living Hour here as we're talking urban farming with Farmer Greg. Patio farming is our theme for today. You don't have to have a lot of space to grow your own. And Carrie Spencer of the Micro Farm Project is also joining us. We've spent the first part of the hour talking about selecting the container, creating your soil mix, and uh, making your plant selections, whether it's starters or seeds. Where are we going to take the conversation now?
0: Moving from a pot. So a small pot into a bigger pot requires a process and because you don't want to just bring it home from the nursery, stick it in a pot, and stick it out in the sun. Uh, There's a process to go through. Can you tell us about that, Kari?
1: Sure. Yeah, you're so right. You you really need to be careful about that. And and the process is called hardening off. And really what it is, just getting your plant to acclimate to where you want to plant it, to the spot where you're going to put it. It's been at the nursery in prime conditions with a little bit of shade and watered just right. and, And then you take it home and you stick it out in the sun and avoid planting it right away. And you can put your plant out there for a few hours, see how it fares. That's really great because it does two things. One, it gives the plant some time to adjust and the leaves will thicken up some so that it doesn't have as much water loss and it just gets used to that area and it also tells you if that's going to be a good spot because if you put your plant out in an area in your yard and it just doesn't look good you bring it back into some shade and protection try it again the next day see how it does the next day and if after a few days, it's just not acclimating, then maybe you need to pick a more sheltered location for that plant. Maybe it needs a little more shade. And so it gives you a chance before you actually plant it out to decide whether the plant is going to survive in a spot. So I just do that for a day or two.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say for how long and are you gonna do that for? Three or four hours for a couple of days in a row?
1: Yeah, I'll put it out for three or four hours. If it looks good, maybe I'll leave it longer. But sometimes they wilt a little bit, and then you can bring them in and and let them rest. Yeah. <laughs> and then regroup and try again the next day.
0: Excellent. And how do you get the plants from the starter pots they're in into the ground? What's that process look like?
1: Okay, that's really easy. First thing you want to do is make a hole in the soil in your container that you want to put them in that is the same depth as the root ball of your starter plant. And the root ball is the, the soil and the roots mixed together inside your starter plant pot. So if you've got a pot that's maybe three inches tall, then maybe you just dig the hole about three inches deep. But then you want to make that hole wider than the actual root ball. So you don't have to force the plant into the soil. You want to be able to just set it in there and then backfill with some soil. And then as you backfill, you want to make sure that the root ball of your starter plant is even, that the soil is even with the surrounding soil. So that root ball is not sticking up high above the surrounding soil in the pot, and neither is it buried so deep that the stem is going to get buried. You just want it nice and level. And if you want to, you can put some fertilizer in that planting hole, if you want, before you put the plant in.
0: Make sure it's organic.
1: Yeah, an organic fertilizer, or you can water it with a little bit of fertilizer to get it going. If you're doing seeds, you don't need fertilizer right away. You wait till your plant starts, you wait till your little plants start to get up and grow and have a few leaves, and then you would add some fertilizer. And are you talking? it's, It's pretty easy.
2: A liquid fertilizer or like a granular slow release? Do you have a preference between those?
1: I don't really. If you want to to bury the fertilizer, then use a granular. And you can just dig a little trench next to the plant in the pot and bury the fertilizer. Um, or if you just want to water it and fertilize it at the same time, then you can use a liquid. And
0: I actually say both. We have seen some really, really good... Uh, results when we're feeding four times a year with a granular and then once a month or twice a month with a liquid, the results are staggering. At Urban Farm, we recommend
2: both. I've I've never heard somebody try both, uh, but I I don't know why
0: not. Here's the thing. (laughs) We eat every day. Our animals eat every day. Our trees and our plants need to eat every day. If we're only fertilizing them three or four times a year, they're not getting enough food. So we have to set up our fruit trees and our gardens so that there's a ready source of food available for them when they want it. And by putting the granular in, that puts a slow release in the soil. And then by using a fish fertilizer, we love high creations, a fish or kelp fertilizer uh, that helps the soil. And it, if you spray it on the plants, it. Gets absorbed right into the plants, and the plants do a lot better. And this is especially important when we're putting things in pots, because of the way that water pulls out the nutrients in the soil when you water, and it runs out of the bottom. You want to say more about that, Kari?
2: And as um, as we're getting to that, you had said High Creations pretty quick, but oh, uh, that's H Y Creations, correct? Yes. High Creations, and correct. that's about as local source. It was developed by a couple of graduates from ASU, and it's also a foliar fertilizer. So it's a product, and we've had them on with Farmer Greg before, but I just want to make sure and give them a little highlight because you said that very quick, and when somebody goes, goes to a local nursery garden center, there's a lot of products on the shelf you can choose from. And yep, And just like we were talking sourcing plants locally, if we're sourcing our fertilizers locally too, all the better
0: and we have a lot of great local fertilizer makers in the state. We've got global organics on the West side. They make a granular fertilizer. We've got tanks, green stuff down in Tucson that makes local fertilizers. And then we've got the liquid guys at high creation. So shop local for your fertilizers and back to the water leaching out the nutrients in the pots, that's a really important thing I want you to touch on, Kari.
1: Yeah, it is, and the reason that it is so important is because of the way that we need to water containers. When you water, you want to only water when the plant really needs it, for one thing. Stick your finger down in the soil, and if the top few inches of soil are dry, that's when it's time to water. If there's still moisture in there, then you can usually refrain from watering. But if it if it is drying out, then when you water, you want to hydrate the entire pot from the side to side, top to bottom, which means you have to see water run out of the bottom of that pot. Otherwise, you don't know if the deepest roots in your pot have gotten wet. So water thoroughly so that water runs out of the bottom of the container. So when you're doing that, like Greg mentioned, you're leaching away some nutrient every time because the water that comes out is going to be brown. <laughs> that's that's nutrient running away from you. So definitely you want to make sure that you are feeding those plants. And so one of the things that I like to do with my container plants is get a water-soluble fertilizer. And whatever the package recommends for feeding my plants, I will do that twice as often, but at half the strength so that When I'm watering, they're often getting a source of nutrient, but not so much that it's like feeding them a Thanksgiving meal every time, right? They get just a steady amount of food when I'm watering. And the reason for that is that they don't have roots that can spread out into the soil to find what they need. They're completely dependent on what I give them. So I make sure they have a source of nutrients when I water.
2: And when you're watering, you don't want to use soft water, and I bring that up. It, it is a talking point here. A lot of patios, they might have a soft water spigot for cleaning vehicles or whatever the case might have been when the the home was piped for soft water. And we do recommend water treatment for our homes in Arizona be, uh, to remove the hard deposits, but you don't want to water your plants with a soft water hose bib.
1: Yeah, that's correct, because there is a lot of salt in those in that and salts can build up in pots really fast and so you don't want those building up because salt will leach nutrients away from your plants and also can uh, set up some disease response in your plant roots so just don't use soft water
2: and it's funny some parts of Arizona the farmers a lot of the watering they do isn't for the plants it's to make sure the water saturation gets deep enough that the salt will get past the root system. So they're Mm -hmm. watering to wash salt more than they are watering to feed the plant sometimes, just depending on their source of water.
1: Yeah, and that's what we're doing when we're watering deeply and letting water run out the bottom of our pots. It's taking some nutrient away, but it's also flushing some of those salts away. Because even our water that's not treated has a lot of salt in it. And so we do want to make sure that those salts are not getting trapped and sticking around in our pots.
0: I want to touch on something really quickly, Kari, when a pot goes hydrophobic. So if you miss some waterings, the soil can dry out so much that watering it really doesn't make a difference. How do you fix that?
1: If your plant seems to be hydrophobic, and you'll know that because the water just... Runs around the root ball down the insides of the pot and out the bottom and doesn't soak into the dry root ball. Then you need to get a bucket, put some water in it, and stick that pot down into the water and let it soak up water by osmosis or whatever the process is. That's right. uh, Up into the soil slowly because it's going to take some time to get that plant to accept water again or the, not the plant but the soil to accept yeah. the water cool thanks for that
2: we have one final segment with farmer greg of the urban farm and kari spencer's micro farm project right after this <music> final segment here of our outdoor living hour for saturday of the month so we have farmer greg and i'm not going to let you get out of here talking patio farming without mentioning the tower garden system. Today we've been talking primarily containers, the selection, the soil, the seed selections, and watering techniques, fertilizing techniques, but there's another technique called a tower garden.
0: There is, and man, I found it in 2010. I got a, a post on Facebook where somebody put a picture of a tower garden, and by noon that day, I had bought one. Uh, a tower garden is a hydroponic growing system. They actually call it aeroponic, but it's water-based. And it's, they use organic nutrients in it. And basically, it looks like a six-foot-tall Christmas tree that grows food. And I have, for, well, since 2010, every year, we grow in our tower garden. It works great. And Troy out at True Garden out in... Mesa has a whole greenhouse. He's got a 5,000-square-foot greenhouse of tower gardens that he farms, and he also sells tower gardens. So if you get an opportunity to check out a tower garden, I'll tell you what, they are amazing.
2: This 5,000, it's all indoor. The yeah, greenhouse? it's a greenhouse. A 5,000-square-foot yeah. greenhouse of tower gardens. It's
0: a sight to be seen. If you get an opportunity to get out there and see it, go do it.
2: we are have to see it, and I'd also like to – we'll have to get them on just to talk about how many pounds of produce that that 5,000 can create. Because when you're row gardening, flat gardening, what you have is the space there, these tower gardens. talk about stacking functions, you've got a lot more right? vertical uh, space you're taking advantage of advantage of as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right.
2: I can make that happen. Okay, perfect. Look forward to that.
0: And then I I do want to touch on Kari's books. Kari's an an amazing writer, and uh, you've got a couple of books. Can you tell us about them, Kari?
1: Yeah, I have City Farming, uh, which is a book about growing vegetables and raising livestock in urban spaces. And that can be found at cityfarmingbook.com. And I also have a vegetable gardening journal that has a lot of resources inside it, including a lot of tips, particularly for beginners, but some great stuff for people who have been gardening for a long time. And you can find my vegetable gardening journal anywhere books are sold, really.
0: We want to stumble into interesting structures to use for trellises. And one of the things that I did a few years ago at the urban farm is I found an old bed bed frame, the bottom mattress that is springs, and all the cloth had come off of it. Somebody was throwing it away in their bulk trash. It was like, ooh, that looks like a cool trellis. What a, what other kind of cool trellises have you found?
1: Oh, there, there's a lot of choices. I've used old hardware cloth, like turned it into trellising material or a tomato cage. But yeah, anything that your plants can climb that's stable, can work as a trellis. So you can come up with some really creative and pretty ideas for that. Yeah, and and you'll wanna set those trellises right away. If you plant a tomato or something that's going to climb when you plant it, make sure you get your trellis in place.
0: One of the things that I use is the wires that, and you know about this Romy, the wires that go in cement to hold cement together The ones I like to use, they're about eight inches wide and about eight or 10 feet long, and they arch really well. I've used those. Here's an interesting question that always confuses me. Indeterminate and determinate tomatoes. How about if we wrap it up with that? What's the difference?
1: A lot of gardeners get started gardening because they want to grow tomatoes. So this is an important thing to know. An indeterminate tomato is in it has a bush shape so it will grow into the size of a small landscape bush, right? And it, it has a determined size. But if you get an indeterminate oh, yeah. tomato, those vine and they will grow as far as they can reach if you let them. A lot of cherry tomatoes are indeterminate. And they will vine and go everywhere.
2: Farmer Greg and Kari Spencer, we thank you all for joining us this Saturday morning. And there's probably a lot of us that probably need to catch up on our veggies and our greens after this week. Right. Little, little inspiration to maybe grow them yourself. All right. And Farmer Greg, we look forward to having you back fourth week in December, where we will be talking plant your fruit trees.
0: Yes. It's the perfect time to get them in in the winter.